This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Excuse me, um, is this where I sign up to get some help? Uh, yes, miss, but we're not open for another three seconds. Please stand behind the yellow line. Excuse me, is this where I sign up to get some help? Um, yes it is. How may I help you? Oh, well, uh, I was just looking for the coffee. Hi, how may I help you? Um, the pastor said I should come here? Hi, how may I help you? Well, you see, I was thinking about sharing my faith, but I'm just not really sure how to do that. <sighs> okay. How would you like to share your faith? Um, well, don't you think we should get acquainted first? Oh, that would be fabulous. Your name? Um, it's Liz, L-I-Z. Um, my last name is, um, nobody. N-O-B-O-D-Y. Liz, L-I-Z. Uh, somebody, S-O-M-E-B-O-D-Y. Liz, L-I-Z. And, uh, my last name is, um, it's Peters. Great, here we go. Now I'm really committed. Want my number? Uh, no, I already have it. It's 766-2323. You live at 222 Westside Lane, and you have two cats. You like chick flicks. You have not had a date in eight months, and you really need to call your mother more often. The big guy is not too happy. Oh, want my number? Yes, please. It's 766-2323. Okay, now, how would you like to share your faith? Well, never. Rarely? Just so I don't, you know, run everyone off. I really like people liking me. Okay. How would you like to share your faith? Got it. I could just, you know, just do a flyby. An email. A singogram. Okay. Why would you like to share your faith? Well... Just so they would find faith the way that I have. So that they would know that there's a God and there's a heaven. Maybe if I just tell them that they're all going to hell, then they would listen to me. Why would you like to share your faith? So that they would have peace. I mean, everyone deserves a chance, right? What do I say? You challenge them. Ask them what their faith is. Do they have a faith? Why don't they have a faith? I mean, play 20 questions. Oh. Now, who did you have in mind to share your faith with? Well, I guess I could just pick some names out of the phone book. Handsome men. I got it. Single men. Maybe I could get a date. No? Who did you want to share your faith with? Hmm. I could share with my dad. Or my friends. My coworkers, maybe. Well, Dad, that was easy. Oh, okay. Just start talking nothing to it. Just be real. Begin to talk about your faith. What it does for you. How you wish they would have a faith. I know. You can pick five friends. We'll call them your fave five. You'll just pray for them and invite them. Just like that. Just like that. You want me to go in cold turkey with no pickup line. Just like that? Just like that. In fact, I have something to get you started. Here's a couple of invitations. And remember, just be yourself. Nothing forced. Nothing forced? Easy for you to say. This is so unnatural. 
Faith is way too personal. I mean, really, how important is faith? I mean, my tongue gets all tied up, and my mouth gets dry, my hands get all sweaty. I really sweat. It's really gross. This makes me really uncomfortable. Do I really have to do this? Well, where do you think you're going? Don't leave me. Hey, help me out. Maybe I really want to do this. Well, good morning. I don't know what to comment on first. The uh, in-sync moves by the uh, first to sixth graders or the fantastic skit. Uh, I saw it. You saw that, right? That was, that was taking me back. That was taking me back. I'll be totally honest. Uh, my name's Kevin, and in another life, I was in a boy band, uh, but in this life, I'm your pastor. And I don't believe in reincarnation, so let's just start over. Uh, we are... <laughs> this is one of my favorite Sundays. Uh, because uh, unlike all of you who have to stare at me, I get to watch the people who walk in at 10 o'clock an hour early for the 11 o'clock service. Uh, it's just really fun. Uh, so uh, it'll, you'll see me smile at them. They'll smile back awkwardly, look around, get confused, and then they'll come find their seat. I'll tell them, hey, come up to the front. That'll be the best place uh, for you to be embarrassed. No, I wouldn't say that. That'll be horrible and mean, and we're at church, and we don't want to be horrible and mean at church because we are experiencing the love of God, right? We are in this series called Reach, and uh, really, Reach is about... Uh, God reaching down to us, God meeting us, God engaging with us in a powerful way, in an intimate way, knowing the living God, seeing that there's something else out there beyond our, our five senses, knowing that there's a spiritual reality, a spiritual realm, and uh, that God wants us to engage with him, that he has been working our lives together to this point of, of knowing and being known and experiencing him intimately and passionately. And then as we come, we learn that in this REACH series, it doesn't just end there. It's not just God reaching down to me, but it's actually then me reaching out to other people, helping other people experience God, helping other people come to uh, experience this passionate, intimate life that, that I'm coming to realize, that I'm coming to explore and, and coming to engage with. Uh, and so uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about our faith five, and they referenced it in the skit. It's those five people that you see on a regular basis, your friends, family, coworkers, uh, people that you already have a relationship with, that, that God might be saying, you know what, I want to use you to engage those people, to help them experience me. And so for the last number of weeks, uh, we've been praying for five people, and we've been looking for ways to invite them to come to church starting next Sunday. Next Sunday is the beginning of our Freedom Series, and it's going to be a powerful time. And so we've been asking you guys, and I've been asking my friends, hey, would you come? Would you just come and, uh, and, and check out this whole church thing with me? Uh, and next week is that first day. So uh, we'll talk more about that this week. You'll hear more about that in your life groups and things you can expect and how you can really take a part in next week. Uh, but just be aware, we are, we're praying and hoping that hundreds of new people come in next week. And that's going to mean uh, some things on our part, making some space, inviting people in, uh, getting here early to welcome people, and then coming in ready to engage with God together. Uh, I don't know what that skip brought up for you. Uh, for some of us, it's probably a feeling of nausea, right? Okay, I'll pray for people for two weeks, but now I have to actually invite them to come and and experience God, and I feel a little sick, and my hands get sweaty, and, and I go up to someone, and I, I, I want to talk to him about God, and I want to tell him about this faith that, that is transforming me, uh, but then all of a sudden, I open my mouth, and I just kind of vomit Jesus onto people, and, and we, no one wants to get vomited on, let's be honest. Uh, we don't like it. It leaves a bad taste in our mouth, and it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. Uh, so we're going to talk about how uh, this one person in the Bible who was kind of a social outcast, how she uh, engaged with God, experienced God, and then went back to her community and transformed her community. And she invited people to experience God the way she was experiencing him. And it wasn't uh, hard or awkward. It didn't leave a bad taste in her mouth or their mouth. In fact, it actually transformed uh, the entire uh, group 
there. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. We're going to be in John 4. Uh, Jesus, would you use this morning uh, really as ascending time? We've been sitting and listening for the last few weeks. We've been encouraged and challenged. Uh, we see throughout your word that uh, inviting people to come and experience you is at your heart. Uh, we've been asking for new eyes uh, to see the realities of the world the way you see them. Uh, and you've been answering those prayers. Uh, we know you have. We have heard stories of it, testimony of it. I, I've gotten emails this week from people saying that you have been working powerfully, and so I want to give you the glory for that, and I want to say thank you, Lord, for working. Uh, we, we talked about uh, changing lives one friendship at a time last week. So, Lord, uh, as you've been helping us to walk that out, would you continue to increase those friendships, help us to serve and love and care for people in the way that you serve and love and care. And then this week, Lord, would you uh, speak not only to our heads, uh, but to our hearts in a way that would challenge us, that would transform us, that would engage us, and that would actually uh, take us out of here ready to invite, ready to see you do amazing things. Uh, would you put on our hearts this week a real burden uh, to see people come and experience you? And would you draw us into intimate prayer uh, and passionate prayer? And would you, would you send us? Would you call us? Lord, would you speak through me today? Amen. I want to start off by saying, if you're here this morning and uh, this journey of faith is new for you, uh, this is no secret. It's not some sort of divine conspiracy that, that we have in the church. Uh, we are a group of people who is just trying to uh, figure out what life looks like, and uh, the best way we can figure that out is uh, we've experienced a God who, who came and who created all of this and who knows us and loves us and uh, isn't dead and isn't distant but is here and is now and is real. And so we've been experiencing something as a community that is uh, capturing us up, that is engaging us, that's transforming us, and we want you to experience that. So uh, this is not some sort of uh, big secret. I would, I would tell you this if we were talking one-on-one. -on -one. I'm just going to tell it to you up on stage today, that uh, God's desire is that you would know him, that you would come and you would experience him and you would be transformed by him, and uh, that as you are transformed by him, that would then uh, send you out to invite other people so that they could be transformed too. And that's really where we're going today. And we're going to start off in John chapter 4 with verse 3. Uh, so Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, where he had to go through uh, Samaria. Now, to be honest, he didn't have to go through Samaria. There were two ways back to Galilee from Judea, and uh, he chose to go through Samaria. But uh, there's something that compelled him, and so the Bible writers say he had to go. Something compelled him to go uh, through Samaria. And he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. I have a slide of, uh, of this well, of Jacob's well. Uh, that's actually the well that Jesus sat down on. Uh, it wasn't covered at the time. It's been covered since then, but it was up on this, uh, this hill, and it was out in the open. And so you can just picture maybe where that jar is. You can just picture Jesus coming in the middle of the day, and he sat down at that well uh, to, uh, to rest himself. And it was this... Uh, this amazing experience. Just to think, that's still there today. You could visit that well. Uh, you could sit on the seat that, that Jesus sat uh, when he had this conversation with this woman. And uh, something about that just makes this very real for me, right? That Jesus was there. It's not some idea. It's not some theory. He was flesh and bone having this conversation, sitting in that place. So as we go through this, just remember uh, that seat in your mind. Now, in order for us to know a little bit about uh, the conversation Jesus is going to have, we need to know about Samaria and uh, Samaritans. Now, uh, Samaria was originally a Jewish community, and it was uh, an outpost. It was up on a hill, 
Uh, the Hebrew word for it means watch post. So it was this strategic location that kind of looked out over the ancient Near East. And so because it was a strategic location, uh, militaries were always trying to conquer it. People were always trying to come in and take over Samaria uh, so that they could have this strategic place to continue their conquests throughout the ancient world. And in 722, the Assyrians conquered Samaria, uh, 722 B.C., and they forced the Samaritans to pay taxes so that they could continue their military, but the, the, uh, the Samaritans refused. They said, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're, we're Jewish people. Uh, we only give to God what God deserves, and, and we don't have anything for you. You've taken us over. You've conquered us. Well, the king didn't like that, and so he took uh, 22,000 and right around 300 Samaritans, and he moved them. He displaced them out of their homes. Uh, and he brought in people from the surrounding nations, non-Jewish people, to move in. And his, his goal was basically to uh, wipe out this Jewish community through intermarriage. He wanted these other people to come in. He wanted them to marry. And they had all these other gods. And so, and that's exactly what happened. The Samaritans began to marry uh, these non-Jewish people, these non-Samaritans, and uh, had a mixture of the, the God of the Bible, uh, right? This capital G God, the living God, and then these lowercase g gods, these, these idols that all the different... Uh, peoples worshipped and bowed down to uh, these idols made of stone and made of wood. And uh, this really ticked off the rest of the Jews, right? The rest of the Jews that lived outside of Samaria saw this, and they were furious with the Samaritans. They said, how could you do this? It'd be better for a Jewish person to die than for them to intermarry. Uh, you, you can't do this. You're not only uh, rejecting us as your bigger community, but you're rejecting God as you make this choice. And that began this rift that continued throughout history. Samaritans and the rest of the Jewish community had this, this rift that went on. And at the time that we get into the conversation, uh, it's kind of reached an apex. Uh, the Jews believed that God should be worshipped on this mountain in Jerusalem. Uh, and so they had a temple there. And then the Samaritans believed that God should be worshipped on a different mountain. And this was a big deal because they believed that God was only in that mountain. So they believed that the same God, but that the God should be worshipped in different places, which only increased their anger with each other. The, uh, the Jews went and they burnt down the Samaritan temple at one point. And then the Samaritans came over to the Jewish temple and they snuck in and they threw dead bones, like dead bodies, inside the temple uh, to make it uh, a, a defiled place, to make it a place where you couldn't worship anymore. And so this, this is going on and on and on. And the Jews are the majority group and the Samaritans are the minority group in this relationship. And they just do not like each other. Uh, you can kind of think of uh, like black-white relationships in Alabama in the 1950s, right? At the height of uh, racial tension and racial strife. Uh, that's the kind of relationship that we're coming into today. So uh, when you hear people preach on the, the Good Samaritan, when Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan or this Samaritan person that he's having this relationship with, um, and you hear him say, you know what, they didn't get along. That's an understatement to say they didn't get along. They did not associate with each other. Uh, Jews did not talk to Samaritans, especially Samaritan women. Uh, and that's what we're going to get into. Verse uh, 6 tells us that it was noontime. Uh, it was around the middle of the day, and that's going to come into play a little bit later. So just remember, it's noon when Jesus gets into this conversation. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Uh, the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then the subtext, the author tells us, because the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Now, two things are going on here, right? There's so much tension that uh, a Jewish man, uh, a Jewish teacher, which Jesus was a Jewish teacher, he was a rabbi, would never talk to a Samaritan woman. I mean, you would walk the other direction if you saw a Samaritan coming. Uh, but Jesus was compelled to go into Samaria, to go through this area. Uh, he was drawn to it. The Bible says he had to go and that he had to have this conversation with this woman. 
So there's that piece going on. But then the other part that uh, we need to know is the subtext around this well. So uh, this well is, uh, how can I say this? Uh, it's a hookup well, right? This is the, it's like, um, it, it is. It's like uh, eHarmony.com before .com. Um, I'm, not, I'm not making this stuff up. Uh, Jacob, the guy that the well is named after, he found his wife at the well. Uh, he went there and he asked her for water and that started this relationship and they got married. And then his dad, Isaac, same thing, went to the well, met a woman at the well, and they got married there. So it's like uh, there's this idea that this well in particular has some sort of relationship component going on, right? So guys uh, had gone there and uh, they had found their wives. They'd found Mrs. Wright. Mrs. Wright had found Mr. Wonderful and it was this big deal. And so uh, immediately the people hearing the story are going to start to wonder what's happening. Not only is he talking to a Samaritan woman, and that's scandalous in and of itself, but he's doing it at the well where people generally find relationship, find romance, and, and people are wondering what's going on. So uh, it would pique their interest. And the author tells us these things, and he tells us about the well to pique the reader's interest. So if you're not on the edge of your seat, you should be. Because if you were an ancient person hearing the story, you would be on the edge of your seat. Like, oh my gosh, this is scandalous. What is Jesus doing here? How could he talk to this woman? And how could he talk to her at this well? At the eHarmony well, this is, this is crazy. This is crazy. And the woman basically says to Jesus, hey, whatever you're selling, I'm not buying, right? I don't want it. How could you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water? It's not going to happen. See, when, when the relationship started, the guy would ask the girl for water, and then in both stories, the woman then took care of the guy. But she says, uh-uh, I'm not even touching this one with a 10-foot pole. Uh, this has to be some sort of setup. How could you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water? Uh, I'm not buying it. But Jesus says, that's, that's not at all what I'm going for, by the way. Uh, I'm Jesus. Maybe you've heard of me. Uh, I'm single. Uh, I plan on staying single, right? Uh, I used to have, uh, before I got married, uh, I used to joke that I was going to be a bachelor to the rapture, right? Like a bachelor until Jesus came back. Jesus really is a bachelor uh, even after he comes back. So he's like the ultimate bachelor. Uh, he's not having that. He's not trying to, to meet this woman for love, but he wants to love her, Right? He's not trying to be in a relationship with her like that, but he wants to be in a relationship with her. He's trying to, to grab her. He says, hey, would you give me some water? I'm thirsty. Last week, Ron talked to us about tearing down uh, the lines, rubbing out the lines that divide us, rubbing down the lines that we use to uh, separate ourselves from other people, that we use to discriminate, that we use to alienate, that we use to divide, that we use to ignore. He said, we got to rub out those lines because when Jesus comes in, he rubs out the lines. He says, you know what? There is no more line. There's no more Jewish and non-Jewish, no more male or female. We're all one in Christ. And Ron said, you know what? We need to redraw the line in a circle around people rather than separate ourselves with people. And so uh, the question for us is, have you been working to tear down those lines this week? Have you been doing it? Have you been working to tear down those lines this week? One of the lines that I've been working to tear down is um, a line based on resources in, in my life, based on finances, um, where I only associate um, with people who have and not people who have not. And so uh, God's really been convicting me of this. And so for the last month, I've been trying to uh, get over to serve food over at Lucchese on Tuesday nights. We serve food to folks and, and give clothes to folks who don't have food and clothes and, and just get into relationships. Just start to talk to people. And, and it's been really powerful for me. God said to me a month or two ago, you got to rub that line out. Uh, I know you think you're busy. I know you think you have a lot going on, but you need to start loving and caring for people uh, in a real, tangible, intimate way. And so I started to serve um, 
and it's been great. I met some people who are uh, just amazing, so much fun to be around. Uh, we talk, we laugh. Uh, I got to meet uh, a little girl who was four years old, and uh, no, I'm sorry, she was um, she was just under two years old because our daughter's two years old, and she was just under two years old. And so uh, I was playing with her and having a good time and talking to her parents and invited her parents to come to church. And I think they're going to come, and and so it's been really powerful for me because God's been saying, hey, you know what? You got to rub out the lines. And so I want to ask you, uh, it's been seven days since, since Ron preached, since we heard from God, we need to rub our lines. Have you been doing it, right? Because uh, the book of James says, you know what, if you hear the word of God, but you don't act on it, it's like a, a man who walks up to a mirror and he looks at himself in the mirror and then he turns around and he forgets what he looks like. And that would never happen in the ancient world because you might only see a reflection in a pool of water, but rarely in a mirror. Only the, the wealthiest people saw their reflection in a mirror. And if you saw yourself in the mirror, you'd soak it in. You wouldn't forget what you looked like. He says it's crazy to do that. And yet when we hear the word of God and don't act on it, it, it doesn't transform our lives. So have you allowed God's word to transform your life this week? We don't have to answer all the questions today. We don't have to solve all the world's problems or even all the problems in our life. But we need to be taking steps. Uh, that's one step I've been taking, and I wonder, have, have you been doing it with me? Uh, I, I'm guessing you have, because I've been hearing stories about how God's been working. Uh, verse 10, Jesus answers her. says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his son and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks from this water will become thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Bible talks about two different types of water. It talks about living water, fresh water, and it's the idea that it's water that's constantly moving, that's coming from a well or some other source that, uh, that is good to drink, that is, uh, brings life. And then the Bible talks about stale water, stagnant water. Uh, and what's happening here is Jesus basically says, you want to talk about water? Let's talk about water. Uh, you think you're drinking good water, but the stuff you're drinking is stagnant water compared to the water of God. When I was a kid, I found some standing water, uh, and it had little, uh, little things swimming, and I thought they were tadpoles. And so I got down on my hands and knees and began to play with these little tadpoles. And uh, later I found out they were mosquito larvae, right? So I was like, oh, they're so cute, and this is so fun. And this was before West Nile, so moms, you don't need to freak out. But uh, um, it's gross, right? Stagnant water is gross. Uh, we want living water. Now see, the woman's drinking from one of the best wells in the, her time the best wells of her day. Jacob's well was this well-known well uh, that, uh, that was the source of life for the entire community. The Samaritans used Jacob's well. It was uh, good water. And Jesus says to her, you know what? You think this water is the best water for you. And, and it's, it is good water. It's not bad. But compared to the water that God wants to give, it's like drinking stagnant water. It might look good, it might even taste pretty good. It might even sustain your life. But God wants to give you water that doesn't sustain your life. He wants to give you water that gives you life. See, there's a difference between sustaining life, keeping you alive till you can get more water the next day, and God's water, which is actually life-giving water. It's producing in you this life that, that you, you can't uh, turn away from. He says, if you knew the gift of God and him who asks, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Which begs the question, do you know the gift of God? 
Have you received it? Do I know the gift of God? Have I received it? We hear this question and we think, well, of course I know the gift of God. Of course I've received it. I don't want to drink uh, mosquito water. That's gross. That's nasty. Who wants to drink stagnant water? Of course I want the gift of God. But how many times do we choose stagnant water without actually realizing it's stagnant? How many times do we choose stagnant water thinking that it's actually the life-giving water of God, and yet it's stagnant water? It's something other than the life-giving water of God. Uh, Maria and I fell into this trap just yesterday. Uh, and, it, and it's subtle, and it stinks up on you quick. We, uh, we got a call, and we found out, hey, uh, you might not be able to stay in the condo that you're renting. You might have to move out of it. Uh, by, by no fault of our own, it just was one of those things that came up. Now, when you have a, a toddler, and we have a baby on the way, and winter is coming— uh, these are not things you want to hear on a Saturday afternoon, right? Or a Sunday afternoon or a Monday afternoon. Really, this is not something you want to hear on any afternoon. Uh, I prefer my bad news in the morning. Um, so Maria and I went down and we began to, to talk about this. I was actually working on this sermon. Uh, she called me down to talk about this. And uh, I like how God does that. Uh, he, he reminds me in the moment. So we start talking, well, where would we live? What would we do? We got on Craigslist. We got on some other realty things. We started looking at new places. And after about a half hour of stress kind of slowly increasing, uh, oh, that means we have to pack everything up. And that means we have to do this and do that. And we're just like, oh, we're feeling tense. And uh, after a little while, we looked at each other and said, what are we worrying about? Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you. Right? Jesus says, why do you care about what you eat or drink or what you wear? He says the, the birds and the trees and the flowers, look how well they're clothed. And, and they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. Why do you worry about that? And to which I add, and why do I worry about what house I'm going to live in in two months or three months? Wanting to find a house is not a bad thing. Wanting to find a place to live and, and give my family a place with a roof over the head, not a bad thing. But worrying about where I'm going to live, stressing out about it, trying to figure it out, that's stagnant water. God doesn't want me to live with stress, with anxiety, with apprehension. God says, trust me. Come to me. Seek first my kingdom, and I will take care of the little things like where you live. So it, it snuck up on me. Does it ever sneak up on you? You think, you think that's not a bad thing. Finding a house, not a bad thing, right? Looking for a place to live, thinking about food, thinking about clothes for your family, not bad things, but Compared to being 100% sold out for God, compared to saying, God, whatever you do, I know you'll take care of me. I give myself to you completely. I trust you completely. God, would your kingdom come and would your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? God, would you help me to love you with everything I am and love other people passionately and intimately without regard? Compared to that kind of life, worrying about your clothes, worrying about your job, worrying about what you're going to eat next week, it's stagnant. See, I think it sneaks up on us, and we don't even realize that it's happening. I do want to be clear, though. Um, the water at the well was not bad water. Um, I'm not saying that uh, the things you're, you're doing or I'm doing are bad, right? I just want to be clear about that. Having a place to live, not bad. We could have a big party here at the church, big slumber party. We could all live here. But, uh, but having a place to live on your own, not bad. Um, but compared to the water, Jesus, it becomes pale. That's all, that's all I'm trying to say. Compared to uh, what Jesus offers, it's nothing. Jesus says, you need the water that I have. 
The water that I have is life-giving. The water that you're drinking, at best, is life-sustaining. But I want you to have a life of abundance. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is the water that you need? Do you believe uh, that he's the water that your friends need, your coworkers need, your spouse needs, your parents need, your kids need? Do you really believe that he is the life-giving water? Or somewhere subtly has it creeped in, like maybe the water I have is better than the water Jesus offers. I know he says to do this. I, I read my Bible. I know what he says to do. But you know what? Maybe if I just do it my own way, that's where life is found. Maybe my water really does taste better. Do you believe that he is the only source of life? Do you believe he's the only water? Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. She heard the invitation and she accepted immediately. She says, I want it. Whatever you're selling, now I'm buying. I'm smelling what you're cooking, Jesus, and I like it. And I want some. Verse 16, he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Bam! That just happened. Right? It's like, what is going on? I just want a, a bucket of water, Jesus. My gracious. Earlier I said that this, uh, this woman's coming at noon to draw water, and that's important. Uh, it's important because most women in her day would draw water early in the morning when it was cool outside. It was a social gathering for women. But she's coming by herself at the hottest part of the day. She's coming at noon because she's an outcast. Because the women have rejected her in her community. Because she has no friends. Because people have turned on her. And they've turned on her for one of two reasons. Uh, she's had five husbands and the man she's with now is not her husband. That's the facts. But the subtext is one of two. One, she's easy. One, she, she is prone to loose living, as it were. Um, and the women don't like that. And the men don't like that. So they reject her. That's one option. And people smarter than me uh, have said that is the option, the right option. But there's another option that people equally smarter than me have also said. And, and that second option is that maybe she was barren. Maybe she couldn't have kids. Uh, maybe this woman got into a relationship with a man and the man expected her to produce children because you needed to have families to continue on uh, and to be able to succeed in life. And when she couldn't produce kids, the man kicked her out. So she went to the next man and he took her in with the same problem, right? They couldn't diagnose that. It just went on again and again and again, and she was brought in by man after man after man, and she was used, uh, and then she was kicked out when she couldn't give the person what the person needed. I actually believe that's the, uh, the more accurate text of it or subtext of it because Jesus does not say to her, go on your way, but stop sinning. Generally, when Jesus comes into contact with someone who is in an act of habitual sin, who's doing something that they should not be doing, he says to him, you know what? You're forgiven, but stop sinning. Go on your way and don't do that anymore. But he doesn't say that to her. He just accepts her. Whatever the, the subtext of it is, she's been rejected by her community. No one wants anything to do with this woman. Verse 28 says, Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Again, a big no-no, but Jesus is crossing 
cultural lines. He's crossing barriers. He's rubbing them out. He's wiping them out. Verse 42, the people of the town said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. I would love for people to say that about me, right? Not the Savior of the world part. The, hey, I don't believe because of what you said anymore. I, I believe because I've met him, because I've encountered him, because the living God has met me here. And I know he's the Savior of the world. Thanks for inviting me, but you're not the reason why I'm here. God is the reason why I'm here. I hope that you guys would say that today. The worship is not the reason why I'm here. You may have come because you liked worship. The, the teaching is not the reason why you're here. You may have come because you liked the sermons, but that's not why you stay. You've encountered the living God, and you believe that Jesus really is the Savior of the world, and that's what draws us here. A couple more questions. Have you ever felt like your past precludes you from being accepted by God? And have you ever felt like your past disqualifies you from being used by God? You ever felt like your past precludes you from being accepted? You ever felt like your past disqualifies you from being used? Friends, God knows your story. He knows all of it. He knows the part you're hiding from your wife or your husband right now, or your kids, or your coworkers. He knows the part you're ashamed of where you think, man, if, if anybody knew this, they would never accept me. God knows it right now, and he loves you, and he accepts you, and he wants to live life with you now. Not when you get it figured out. Now. I will say this. God doesn't want you to live with things hidden. In shame. So he says, confess those things. Bring them into the light. Nothing's hidden after you bring it into the light. So uh, God accepts you. God loves you. He says, confess them and turn from them and then be honest with the people that you love. But God knows your story. One thing you're never going to hear God say when you get to heaven, you'll never hear him say, oh, really? Wow, I didn't know that. I did not see that one coming, right? That is, you, you won't hear that. You will never hear God say something like that. God knows. He saw it. Before the words were on your mouth, before the thoughts were in your mind, God knew them. Immediately, this woman drops her pail, which lets us know that she's accepted the life-giving water of Jesus. She doesn't need this water that comes from the well anymore. And she runs back to her town, and she says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one we're looking for? Are you terrified of trying to uh, help someone experience God, trying to share your faith with them? Does it just make you feel tense? Or do you have no context for it? Do you have no desire for it? Uh, if you have no desire for it, uh, my hope today is that you experience God the way that the woman did. This man knows everything I ever did. And he loves me and he accepts me. Could he be the Messiah? If you're terrified of it, I want to give a suggestion. What if you just tried saying, hey, I'm experiencing something. I think it's God. Would you come and experience it with me? You're my husband. You're my wife. You're my dad, my mom, my kids. We sit next to each other in cubicles 40 hours a week. I, we share, I, share, I see you more than I see my kids. Uh, I think that there's something going on here. Would you come and would you see? Would you come and would you check it out? Would you come and would you experience it with me? Uh, I've been really intentional for the last month of inviting as many people as I could to, to come and experience God. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. 
I have not been punched in the face once. I have not been spit on. I have not been cussed out. I have not had anyone tell me they don't ever want to talk to me again, or how could I do that, or I'm so close-minded, or I'm so this, or I'm so that. Uh, all the things that you're afraid could happen. I've never had them happen. Uh, so you insert your fear here. Um, what if they blank? They probably won't. And on the chance they do, you say, you know what? Uh, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to offend you, you know? Uh, but if you want to come, it's next Sunday at 9 o'clock. Whatever. Uh, let God be God. Um, I think there are, are two reasons why I have not been punched in the face. Uh, I was wearing glasses. No, that's... that's um, all, all I said to people was, hey, would you like to come? Would you like to come? Would you like to come to church? Would you like to come and experience God with me? We're doing this new series. It's called Freedom. It's about experiencing freedom in life. Would you like to come? And, you, and I, I hand them a postcard or I hand them my business card. And every single person has said yes. Yeah, I'd love to come. Sure. Y'all check it out. I've been thinking about doing that. Sure. Uh, which leads to the second reason why I haven't been punched in the face. Uh, and that is because God is moving ahead of me. And God is moving ahead of you. Uh, as much as you would like your friend to come experience God, God wants it even more. Uh, God wants to use you. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, I referenced this in uh, communion last week. It says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. I love that because when the, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, uh, oftentimes it talks about gifts. You receive a certain gift. God gives you these certain gifts, and certain people get certain gifts. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, there's a universal gift. It's the gift of being God's witness. Everybody gets it. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Spirit of God comes in your life, and you will be my witnesses. Have you taken hold of that gift? It's a gift from God. It's part of that living water. It's not just for me. It's not just for some. It's for everyone who says, you know what? I believe in God. The Spirit of God is working in my life. He says, you are my witnesses. So what's your response? If you're here this morning and you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm an intimate follower of Christ. He's changed me. He's transformed me. He knows me. Would you invite people to come and see next week? Uh, if you've been doing the Faith Five Challenge, keep going in that direction. But you know what? If you haven't, would you just invite people to come and see next week? It's coming to experience life, not death. You're inviting them to a good thing. Would you invite people to come and see? There are postcards in your programs. Take them home with you. Ask your friends to come. If you're here this morning and you've never come into an intimate relationship with God, uh, there, should, there should be invitations in your programs. Some of them have invitations in them. If you did not get invitations in your program, there are a ton of them out at the Connect kiosk, so make sure you go out and grab some. Uh, grab a handful. Grab 10, grab 20, grab 30, and then give them all out. I don't want to see any more uh, really slippery orange postcards after this week. So take them with you and give them out. Um, did you notice that they're really slippery when you have two together? That's why you have to keep handing them out so you only have one left at the end. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not a, a follower of God, if you're not a believer, uh, can we just talk for a second? If I knew a, a better story to tell you for life, I would tell you. I'm not keeping something from you. Uh, I've experienced God. He's the living God. He's the true God. He's the one who knows everything I've ever done. And I think he's the one that knows everything you've ever done. And you know what? He loves you and he accepts you and he wants to be in a relationship with you. Uh, the water that you're drinking now will sustain you at best, but the water God wants to give you is life-giving and transforming. And if you sense that that's true, if that resonates somewhere inside of you, that's probably God stirring you.
And would you respond to him this morning by just saying yes, by coming into a relationship with him and letting him guide you and lead you? Would you say yes this morning? I'm going to pray, uh, and then I want to uh, give you some space while I'm praying. If you've never made a re- decision to come in a relationship with God, to do that today. Today could be your day, the day where you're experiencing the life-changing, uh, life-giving water of God. So would you join me and let's pray. God, I pray for my friends here who do know you, who have a relationship with you. Would you give us courage and boldness uh, to go out and invite our friends to come and experience you? And Jesus, would you uh, remind us that you know us intimately and that you are offering water that is better than the water that we have on our own, that you know everything we've ever done, are doing now or will do, and that you love us and accept us and want to use us. And Holy Spirit, would you make us into the witnesses to your goodness and your love that you created us and designed us to be? We pray for every person that comes to church next week that they would experience you intimately. That they might say, you know what, I was invited by my friend, but I experienced God in that moment, and so I no longer believe because of my friend. I believe because I've encountered the living God. Would that be the story that we hear over and over again as we come into this Freedom Series? And as we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with God, but you sense something happening, your palms are sweaty, you're getting, your heart's beating faster, you sense, man, maybe God is here, maybe God is doing something, I want to tell you that is God. God's tugging at your heart. God wants to be in relationship with you. And so you can, if you're sensing that, you can just say yes to him. You can repeat this prayer after me and come into relationship with God. You can say something uh, to the effect of, Jesus, I know that you're calling me. Jesus, I believe that you made a way for me to come and experience God. God, I want the water that you offer. Would you come and would you guide me on this journey of life and faith? I'll follow wherever you take me. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.